Today, we're continuing in Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to talk about something today that is a lot more valuable than a good education. Uh, as valuable as that is, we're going to talk about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And that's, that's all I want you to get from today. If you can walk away from the message today and have your mind somewhat wrapped around the value, the worth of knowing Jesus and the pursuit of knowing Him, uh, that is our goal for today. So uh, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to just jump right into the text. It says this in verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul starts out this chapter by, he's like, look, I'm going to say the same things to you. And it's actually good. It's a good thing for you. It's safe. Because we don't, it's the gospel. We don't want to add to it. We don't want to take away from it. And, you know, those who go back to the fundamentals, whatever your, your profession is, your skills, your hobbies, whoever spends the most time on the fundamentals of their craft becomes a master of their craft. And so we're, we're talking about the fundamentals today and a simple fundamental of knowing Jesus. Look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. Okay, so who are these people? Uh, so in what Paul's referencing is those who would be called Judaizers. So those who are Jew, Jews who have become Christians but are still it's just that's a tough transition to make. So they're trying to convince fellow Christians that they need to observe the Jewish law. And that's, that's adding to the fundamentals. Paul says no. And the specific thing that they're advocating for is circumcision, which metaphorically speaking is just it's simply the removal of the flesh. And who, this is what Paul says for who really is the people who have had their flesh removed. These are the signs of those people. They worship by the Spirit of God. God is Spirit. And because of this, we are able to worship God at any time, at any place, no matter the circumstance. To worship by the Spirit of God is to worship with our entire person at all times. That's how we worship God. We glory in Christ. We're going we're gonna to glory in Christ today together. You know, a lot of people think really highly of Christ. You know, even other religious traditions will acknowledge that Christ is an exemplary person. You know, Muslims believe that he's a prophet. He was sent by God and he's actually going to return. But, but that's, that's where they think highly of him. But we glory in Christ. Christ is our, our ultimate He's our example. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. We glory in him. And we put no confidence in the flesh. You know, there's thousands and thousands of world religions. And every single one of them 
besides Christianity. Man has to cross the chasm between us and God. Man has to ascend to God, has to climb the the stairway to heaven, so to speak, to reach God. But in Christianity, God crosses the chasm to us. And you know what? I want to know that God. I want to know the God who loves people so much, who who wants to be involved, who cares so much that he'd, he'd come down to us. I want to know that God. Let's keep reading verse 4. It says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So we put no confidence in the flesh. Paul's like, hey, I do have some reasons. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, Paul, to address this issue of merit, to address this issue of putting confidence in the flesh, you know, Paul can speak to this because he has the most, he has the best resume. You know, that's why we get medical advice from a doctor and not our neighbor, because they, they have the resume to tell us about it. And this is, so let's take a look at Paul's resume here. He was, everything falls in line. Circumcised the eighth day. Israelite, he knows his, he can trace his lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin. Not all the Jews could do that. The Pharisees were the strictest keepers of the law. And his zeal, he, he persecuted people of other religions. That's how zealous he was. And according to the law, he was faultless. He was blameless, meaning even when he sinned, he did all of the correct sacrifices, all of the correct rituals to have those sins atoned for. He was Blameless. And so to us, this resume, I, I don't know, to some of you it might seem pretty cool, to some of you it's kind of like, I, I don't care. This is, we're pretty culturally removed from all of these things. Okay, so I want to talk about, this is Paul's resume, let's talk about the Western Christian resume. Well, you see, I've been baptized when I was an infant, when I was an adult, just, but I've been baptized. You know, I was born in a family of Christian values. You know, I've got good doctrine. You know, I know it's about the grace of God. I know it's not about works and flesh. I, man, I believe the right things. Matter of fact, I'm a good person. You know, especially when I compare myself to others. I'm a really good person. I tithe. You know, as for zeal, I go to church every Sunday. Sometimes, I'm even in a small group, I go twice. You know, some, you know and I da- you know, dabble in some mission trips here and there. I got zeal. And as for righteousness, I don't, I'm free from the obvious outward sins. 
I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a pagan. I'm not worldly. I'm free from those things. And so often, this resume gets, is, is, is what we stand on. It's what so many people going into judgment are going to bank on, is this resume. And you can have all these things on your resume and still not know Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, When the judgment day comes, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in your name we spoke God's message. By your name we drove out demons and performed many miracles. I mean, these are things that I hope, wish I could have on my resume. Man, drive out demons, perform miracles? I've never done that. Speak God's message? I can only hope and pray that God's message somehow comes through me. And Jesus says, this is what I will say to them. I never knew you. Depart from me. We can have all these things on our resume, but yet not know Jesus. Philippians 3, 8-9 says this, uh, we're rereading verse 8. It says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness from, I'm going to speak to this just for a moment. Righteousness from God that depends on faith. So, salvation, right, when, when we're saved, it's because we, we've been declared righteous. On judgment, we will stand and be declared righteous. But this righteousness depends on faith. So, there is a condition to salvation, and that condition is faith. How do we know, but how do we know who has faith? How do we know if we have faith? How do we know who has faith? It's actually, Jesus makes it painfully simple. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They had answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? And so Jesus says, it's those who abide in my word, who obey my teaching. It's those who are truly my disciples. It's those who truly have faith. It's those who truly believe. It's those who really trust me are the ones who follow my teachings. And you see right off the bat, what, how do the Jews respond? They say, well, what about our resume? Yep, right. We're offspring of Abraham. You know... Why do we revere Simon more than the Bible? So, who is Simon? I have no idea who Simon is, but you ever played the game Simon Says? <laughs> Simon Says, pat your head. What do you do? You pat your head, right? But when the Bible says to pat your head, a lot of times it's like, well, I'll memorize that it says that. When Simon says to clap your hands... 
The Bible, you know, we do it. The Bible says to clap our hands. We'll clap our hands in our heart. Whatever that means. Faith is to abide in his teaching, to obey his word. Let me, let me illustrate this a little further. So, I have uh, this investment. It's in company ABC. And right now their stock is $1 per share. That's how much it costs. And five years from now, I guarantee you, this is a promise, this is on good authority, that ABC Company's stock will be $5 million per share. Well, if you believed me, what would you do? I know what I would do. I would make a killing. I would move all my investments into ABC Company. And what Paul is saying, when he says, I've suffered the loss of all things, so that I may gain Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing him. You know what Paul's really saying? He's saying, I've seen the future. On the Damascus Road, Christ appeared to Paul and pulled back the curtain. And when Paul saw it, it was worth everything to him. He moved all of his investments, his resume, his pedigree, he moved it all into knowing Christ. And not the things that we bank, the other things that we bank our lives on. A lot of times we bank our lives on the bank account. We bank our lives on our investments. We bank our lives on security. We bank our lives on all these things. But Paul is saying, I've seen the future. Those investments you do not stand to gain from in eternity. What will happen to your investments when you die? The mortality rate of human beings is 100%. When you die, do you stand to gain in your investments or lose? Because if you're investing in real estate and the stock market, you'll lose. But if you're invested in knowing Christ, you will reap eternal life. And eternal life, Jesus says this about eternal life, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So eternal life. Let me, let me just retranslate this passage for you. This is life to its maximum potential in every facet that you can possibly imagine. That they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life's not living a really long time. Ask someone who's 100 years old how much longer they want to live. It's probably not forever. Eternal life is life forever, but it's life that is com complete. It's completely satisfied. It's completely fulfilled to every, to every possible capacity, every, in every way that we could possibly imagine. That is eternal 
life. And that is the worth. That's what's waiting for us in Christ Jesus. You know, when we understand the worth, the surpassing worth, right? It's, it's hard to, Paul says it's surpassing worth because it just surpasses anything else that we can compare it to. When we, when we can wrap our minds around how much it's worth, we'll do anything to gain it. Our desires tell us a lot about our nature. For example, have you ever felt lonely before? What does that tell you about your nature? It tells you that you're a, you're a social being. You ever been thirsty? You ever been hungry? What does that tell you? It tells you you need, you need water. You need food, right? You don't, you need water, not soda and coffee. You need water. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. I'll take the personal, the personal training hat off. Food, not Pop-Tarts. <laughs> the fact that you can communicate tells you that you're made for community. But have you ever felt lonely in a crowd? Have you ever felt lonely living under the same roof with people that you love and they love you in return? You ever felt lonely even in that situation? Now, it's not conclusive proof, but it strongly suggests that in your nature you were made for a relationship that no other human can satisfy. You know, C.S. Lewis says this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. A whole world that awaits in knowing Jesus Christ. That's what it's worth. We'll finish out the passage here uh, in verse 10 and 11. Paul goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That I may know him. That's good. I like that. You know, a lot of people don't know this. Actually, a lot of people don't know this about me. Um, I'm from... I'm from Lansing, Michigan, and uh, Irving Magic Johnson is also from Lansing, Michigan. And uh, me and Magic Johnson were actually close at one time. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people don't know that about me. So we were at a basketball game, and he's leaving the game, uh, Michigan State University game. And, you know, I'm... I'm with him, but there's tons of people around him. They're all, he's got security guards around him. Uh, You know, everyone's, there's just this crowd of people. And I was so, I I, I could practically reach out and touch him. That's how close I was to Magic Johnson. You know, one of my buddies even got their tennis shoes autographed that day by Magic Johnson. I was, I was this close. I was 
this close to Magic Johnson. But that's not the same as knowing him. And maybe you were close to Jesus at one time. But that's not the same as knowing him. We want to know him. The power of his resurrection. Now we're talking, Paul. Come on, give me some of that power. Resurrection power. Let's go. <laughs> Man, so I want to know that. I don't know about you, but I want some of that in my life. And then Paul says, to share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Okay, now, now you kind of lost me, Paul. Like, what are you talking about? Why, why would you want to do that? And I think part of the answer lies in, we have to ask, what is resurrection power? Because I think they're connected. What is resurrection power? Now, Jesus was a very powerful man, the most powerful. And he exhibited that power in many ways. Miracles and authoritative teaching. But the way that he exhibited resurrection power more than any other way in his life was the ability to withstand suffering. That is the primary way that Jesus' power was manifested. And so what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What would his suffering have meant? What if Jesus wilted under the pressure of his suffering? What would his suffering have meant? In that case, very little or nothing. But if you face, if you face suffering with joy, Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. If you endure your suffering with perseverance, with integrity, you too will rise from the dead. Resurrection power is the power to withstand suffering. So how do we, let's, let's just put this all into practice. Four things for you guys today. How do we do it? How do you know Christ? How do you, how do you obtain the resurrection from the dead in, in the surpassing worth? How do you get your mind in a place where you want it like Paul? We have to start by renouncing the garbage. Whatever is competing with knowing Jesus Christ in your life is garbage. You know, and a lot of things can hinder us from really seeking to know Jesus Christ. A lot of things. Right? It, it, can, be, it can be career. Not, not, that you sh not that you don't work. Not, well, working eight hours per day inhibits me from really knowing Christ. No, it doesn't. Working is an essential part of God's purpose for you. So that, that's off the table. But if you have a career that is literally swallowing up your entire life, There's some garbage in there. 
and it's time to take out the trash. If it's, if it's leisure, you know, hobbies, man, I, I don't know about you, but I, I can get real, uh, I can't think of the word, like possessive of spare, spare time, free time, because I, I want it for my hobbies and my interests. And, you know, sometimes so much so that, you know, it's like, oh, I haven't had a quiet time today, but, you know, I've got this time. Instead of knowing Jesus, I'm going to pursue this pleasure. We gotta, if it's competing, and, I, and that's up for, to you to discern, but if, if, you, if something's just nagging you right now, like this is competing with my desire to know Christ, it's take out the trash. You know, another thing, especially for graduates, young people, another thing that can become obsessive is orchestrating the next step in life. And how can I just get all the chess pieces so that I know I'm going to the right school and I know I end up in the right place? All those worries, all those anxieties. Right, if we get too obsessive with that, it hinders our intimacy with Christ. So, renounce the garbage. We need simplicity. Simplicity. How does this have to do with, you know, so I, I, can, I, can, I can reply to emails and be on the phone and even parent my child all at the same time. And, yeah, not, it doesn't feel great. But have we become so good at doing many things at once that we've lost the ability to do one thing at a time. And, guys, our, our culture, a sacrifice that we are making in our culture of constant productivity and multitasking, a cost of that is prayer. Because, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time praying. Because you know why? Because when you pray, you got to think about one thing. you got to have that singular focus. And it is so hard because all throughout every day I'm constantly being trained to think about multiple things at a time. So we need simplicity in our lives. And simplicity can be boiled down to this. Uh, another, another thing that C.S. Lewis said, he summed up all of human history in a single sentence, and I think he did a really good job. He says this, that human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. We need simplicity. So take out the garbage. That'll help create simplicity in your life. We need Sabbath. We need to practice Sabbath. Rest. You know why? Because Sabbath gives us that time where we stop and it helps make our lives more simple and helps us realize where we've been investing in garbage. And you guys hear about the Sabbath all the time, so I'll leave the rest of that to Joel. And we need to suffer heroically. If we become a victim, or if we turn inward when we suffer and when life gets hard. If 
then it has no meaning. But if we suffer, and we become a hero in that suffering, that's resurrection power. And we'll rise from the dead. Hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. An extraordinary destiny awaits in knowing Christ Jesus and forsaking all others. You know, the, I was asked this question one time, like, just how do I get, uh, by, by a team, like, how do I just have more intimacy with God? Like, how do I have that emotional connection? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and there are, there are mul- there's many ways to answer, but honestly, one, one thing that I kept coming back to in my mind was, you know, you really, like, there's certain things you can do, no doubt, but there's also certain things that you can't control. And the thing that I've noticed about those who are the closest to Jesus, like, you know, you just see their relationship with Jesus, you see that glow in their eyes, and you're like, what? This doesn't make any sense. How do you have that? It's those who have suffered the most. And I don't say that to say that we, we don't pursue suffering. Suffering in and of itself is not a good thing. But resurrection power in suffering leads to resurrection from the dead. It leads to an extraordinary destiny. So let us cling to, hold to, pursue the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Let's pray for communion. Heavenly Father, in this time of reflection, God, we pray that we would experience intimacy with you, that we would know you, that you would reveal yourself, uh, that you would humble us in our hearts, uh, that we would... that we would kneel in awe before the cross, before the the resurrection power in Jesus' life. We love you and ask that you just bless this time of communion with you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.